so we've been exploring how God has reigned in each generation, how each generation has been formed and, and shaped by uh, the, the world events and the challenges of life and how that has uh, really impacted each generation's character development and faith development. And so we've had a lot of fun uh, doing that. But, but our ultimate goal has been to create unity across the generations uh, and to first to better understand each other, uh, to uh, appreciate each generation and the godly positive characteristics uh, that, that each generation seems to exhibit, and most importantly, to learn how to live into a, a vision, God's vision for an intergenerational church, where together, uh, bringing the best of each generation together, we can reflect a fuller image of God's vision for the church. And so far, we, we've looked at the, the builders, those who are 75 and over, uh, whose generation really modeled a willingness to self-sacrifice for the good of others. Uh, of course, that, that is Jesus' heart for us, uh, where, where he literally laid down his own life for our good. Um, and then last week, we talked about the baby boomers, those who were between the ages of 53 and 74, whose generation was really revolutionary, stood up to the status quo and stood up for justice and equality for all people. And Jesus, we learned, was, was a revolutionary too. I mean, he stood up for, uh, against and called out the injustice of his day and, and really calls his followers, the, the church today, to proclaim the good news of his kingdom um, as an alternative to the kingdoms of this world. And we've learned so much from the builders and the boomers. Uh, I think we can all say that from the past couple of weeks, how they experienced life and the world and God. And today we're going to dissect their kids and, in some cases, their grandkids, um, as we know them as Generation X. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they're known as busters. Uh, you may have heard that term before because they're, uh, uh, the, they're a birth rate bust. Uh, compared to the baby booming years that preceded them. Uh, between 1966 and 1983, making Gen Xers somewhere between 34 and 52. Any Gen Xers in the house? Anybody who isn't want to be after hearing that music? Yes. Can I get an amen? Uh, that's right. Uh, but, uh, Generation X uh, actually came from a novel written by a Canadian guy named Douglas Copeland. That's where the term Gen X came from. Uh, but it isn't really inherently descriptive. Uh, certainly not. There really aren't any uh, descriptive names for this generation as a whole. But regardless, we'll settle in on Gen X for no other reason than it's well known. Uh, but like other generations, this, this generation can be broken down into a couple of different subgroups. Uh, the, the early wave was born uh, between 1966 and 1975, and they have a very small birth rate uh, relative to uh, the, the prime years of the baby boom generation right before them. Uh, famous people from this wave include the likes of Johnny Depp, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Ken Griffey Jr., Shaquille O'Neal, Julia Roberts, Adam Sandler, J-Lo, politicians like Paul Ryan and Marco Rubio coming on the scene, and later uh, Larry Page, uh, the founder of Google. And then there was the later Gen X wave, those born between the years of 1976 and 1983. And in this wave, the birth rate uh, began to pick up again. And, and thank God, because they include Britney Spears, uh, Channing Tatum, uh, John Cena, and Kim Kardashian. I mean, what would we do? 
without them. Uh, but also Serena Williams, uh, Carrie Underwood, Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, and yours truly. Uh, now, now, I think it's, it's important. That's, it's getting hot in here. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's important to, to grasp kind of the, the, the worldview of Gen X. Uh, if for no other reason, uh, then, then our world is in the midst of uh, a real transition right now. A transi- transition of, of leadership uh, from uh, the, the, the boomers handing off the baton uh, in our country's leadership as well as uh, other you know, major companies. It just the, the nation is going through a transition from the boomers to the Xers in roles of leadership. And so some of you hear that and you're like, that is scary. Um, <laughs> others of you, um, may, maybe, maybe by learning a little more about this generation today, we can actually look forward to that transition. But, uh, but here's something crazy that happened last week. I had a couple people uh, share this with me. It was a, a, news, uh, a news report on CBS, um, and, and it had this graphic. Take a look at this graphic and tell me if there's uh, anything that you uh, find interesting about this. Uh, besides the fact that, that the years that they identify are maybe a little bit different than what we identify them as. Notice anything interesting? It's missing. It's missing Gen X. It's like, we're not even there. We're totally missing. One person commented on this, said, this is an accurate representation. Growing up, everything was always about the boomers. And now as adults, everything is about the millennials. Uh, it's like we don't exist. <laughs> and, and this sentiment really captures a lot. It really does. It is so reflective of the internal angst and life-searching that typifies Generation X. But what led to that feeling, besides being left out of a news report? Uh, what, what, what shaped this generation? Um, many, many things. Uh, although, although few Xers uh, really recall and remember it, a monumental societal change uh, occurred in, 19, in the 1973 Supreme Court decision in Roe versus Wade, uh, which uh, legalized abortion for the first time in the United States. And uh, without getting into any like, uh, ethics around that, uh, this, this decision and the cultural atmosphere that made it possible, if, for, if nothing else, resulted in a much lower birth rate of an entire generation, uh, Generation X, uh, uh, leading to, to s- several people who have analyzed generations, uh, uh, leading several to suggest that this was really the first unwanted generation. The formative years for Xers occurred between the mid-70s and the mid-90s, a a time of great change. I mean, during this time period, the Cold War ended, uh, the the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and the subsequent collapse of the Soviet Union afterward. And really, that gave Xers uh, a hope that this world would become a safer place. Safer to listen to music, watch MTV, and play video games, right? That's, that's what Gen X is known for. Uh, we're really the first uh, technologically uh, you know, high-tech generation. Now, the first generation to be uh, comprehensively computer literate. Uh, the, the youngest Gen Xers, get this for those of you who are older, never have used a typewriter. Uh, never maybe even seen one, except outside of a museum or a great-grandma's house. Uh, most Xers uh, don't know life before cable TV or video games. 
And this generation is used to endless options of entertainment also, scores of TV channels, the advent of live TV broadcasts of world-changing events, video games upon video games upon video games. Anybody start with Pong? Did you have Pong? A few of you had Pong. That's awesome. Uh, this is definitely the highest percentage of uh, worship service that had Pong. Uh, Pong and, and Atari and Intellivision and ColecoVision. You know, I thought my world was changed forever when Super Mario Brothers um, invaded my living room that Christmas that I received the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, you know, uh, video games created this, this need for uh, an experience of fast-paced uh, visual, uh, visuals as well as information. And because of this, uh, Xers, they can get bored easily. Uh, uh, we, we are a soundbite generation. Uh, a famous lyric from the, uh, in my opinion, the Gen X song, Nirvana's uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, simply says this, here we are now, entertain us. And, and our, in general, our boomer parents did just that. Uh, they entertained us while they went to work or pursued their own interests. Uh, while uh, while genera- Generation X is, is the first generation um, to experience widespread single-parent households and, and the latchkey kid phenomenon. Uh, the breakdown of the family was... A reality. If not for yourself as a Gen Xer, then then certainly for uh, half of your friends um, around you. More than 40% of Xers are children of divorce. Uh, they, they were latchkey kids, uh, which which meant that that oftentimes uh, they felt neglected by their parents, who were too occupied with their careers and their personal freedom to pay much attention to them. Uh, 40 to 50% of Xers lived in single-parent households as teenagers, almost exclusively uh, headed by working moms. Um, Xers are twice as likely to come from broken homes as their boomer parents, and three to four times more likely than, than their builder grandparents. And out of deep loneliness uh, and feelings of neglect that, that you can see, it, it fits. Uh, many Xers who, f- who faced life in fractured, dysfunctional families turned to their peers for support. Peers were like the new family, wh- whether it was a gang or a sports team or a club or just your special clique of friends. Peers became the largest influencer of Gen Xers' path to adulthood. Whereas, uh, if you remember from the previous week's builders, the, their, their path was mostly laid out by uh, family, school, and church. And the, built, the boomers after them, as those influences lost their, uh, they, they kind of diminished, TV and a liberal arts college education became the major shapers. But, but in the general absence of a strong family for Xers, it was their peer community. Music of this generation captures the resulting angst and frustration from, from the feelings of loneliness and neglect. In, in the late 70s and 80s, uh, the outlet for this angst, as reflected in the music, was sex and drugs. Uh, was it not? I mean, as we listen to some of those wonderful songs, we're like, kids, don't listen to the lyrics. 
right? <laughs> uh, but, but we still love the music, just not the, oh, not, not so sure about that anymore. In the 80s and 90s, it, it shifted a little bit with the advent of grunge as a musical form. Um, and, and it no longer was it the angst uh, communicated as sex and drugs as much as drugs and anger. Real anger. Whatever became a common phrase, right? Uh, a, a deeply rooted cynicism and frustration with life became the calling card of Gen X. Any parents of Gen Xers in here? Is this a, you're, you're feeling it, aren't you? This is it. Why? Several factors. Uh, I already mentioned the breakdown of family. Our boomer parents uh, really fought for their own liberation and the liberation of others. And part of that meant to, to do whatever they wanted to do, um, to, to fulfill themselves, uh, leaving many Xers feeling neglected by their parents. Uh, but there were many other factors too. Uh, uh, the economy for Xers has been up and down, down in the 80s, up in the 90s, up and down in the 2000s uh, since then. Uh, AIDS um, really added to the cynicism. In 1991, uh, basketball star Magic Johnson shared that he was infected with this deadly virus. Um, and the effect of the AIDS epidemic on Xers, it is staggering. Uh, we, we have been part of a culture uh, largely handed off to us from the sexual revolution in the 60s that, that made it seem uh, not just acceptable, but in many cases expected that we would be sexually promiscuous um, um, before marriage. And, and, and yet, with the advent of AIDS, uh, those, those kinds of recreational activities uh, handed to us from the previous generation came with it a death sentence if we weren't careful. I terror also contributed to the angst. The Persian Gulf War made, made this generation feel in, invulnerable. I mean, it was so fast and so successful, it felt like a video game. Uh, but then you come home and you have the uh, events of the Oklahoma City bombing and the, and the birth of domestic terrorism that once again made fear and uncertainty a normal part of life. I mean, even the technological advancements that made the previous generation feel invulnerable um, failed this generation, Generation X. We didn't have Neil Armstrong stepping out of Apollo 11 onto the face of the moon. Instead, we, we saw our teacher, Krista McAuliffe, blow up right in front of our eyes on live TV as kids. And without the, the reassurance and emotional support of the most foundational relationship, that, that of the family unit, um, in many Xers' lives, I mean, really, is it any wonder that this generation grew up with a sense of bitterness and anger and woundedness? Thus, much of what defines the character of Xers, uh, just like in the generations before, is really a rejection of the values they experienced and perceived in their boomer parents. Uh, they, they observed what divorce and career climbing and drug abuse and, uh, had done to the previous generation. And so, some Xers, friends that I grew up with and knew, had to learn how to become a parent of their own parents when their lives crumbled and fell apart. Uh, therefore, among other things, Xers have sought like a, a redefinition of work. Uh, Xers tend to reject the workaholism often needed to acquire money and titles and to, to climb the career ladder. We, we don't expect to make personal sacrifices for the company uh, the way that our parents did. 
Um, instead, we expect personal satisfaction from our jobs. Um, and for our generation, other interests and pursuits, um, including family and, and, and other pursuits, are just as important as work. I mean, flexibility, work-free uh, work weekends, and the feeling that we're really making an impact with our lives, that matters so much more to us than, than sometimes the paycheck or the position. Um, Xers are also characterized by a uh, just-survive mentality. Uh, national and global issues such as world hunger and homelessness and AIDS and the federal deficit and poverty and pollution, they're so large, so grand, so complex that it leaves many of us just feeling paralyzed to do anything to make a real difference in, in these problems. Um, and Xers are under no illusion about solving these problems. So instead, we, we tend to focus on issues that are closer to home, uh, where, where we can see actual results. 50% uh, of Xers are environmentally conscious and are drawn to groups that have uh, a well-focused message, uh, choose specific targets, and, and get things done quickly. Uh, but, but it cannot be overstated that Xers are dealing with, uh, with the stress of living in an increasingly dangerous and uncertain world uh, that, that is coming closer and closer to our own doorsteps. Um, all, all of this makes Xers a, really a little bit cynical. Uh, you know this already. Uh, but, but it also makes us very realistic. Um, Xers want more than talk, right? Uh, Xers want authenticity. Uh, Xers as a generation have a built-in BS detector, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, we can, we can recognize a fake. And when we do, you'll oftentimes hear us say, whatever. And <laughs> All of these characteristics, they, they impact the faith of Xers. I mean, you can imagine, right, to be helpful at all, the faith of this generation has to address the level of stress and angst infiltrating our everyday lives. Xers' experience of life is that life is hard. It, it isn't easy. It isn't rose-colored. Uh, many Xers have had unhappy home lives. Some have experienced the death of close friends through uh, things like suicide or drugs or AIDS. So, so they look for a faith that is real and doesn't gloss over the difficulties of this life. Um, I, I'd like you to hear a, a little bit more about that and about the stress and the angst, but really the hope of faith from Xer and new staff member here at Troy UMC, Dave DeRemer. I hope you enjoy this. Dave Dereemer, and I'm the new director of Connections here at Troy United Methodist Church. I was born on November 1st, 1974, and I am a member of Generation X. was the majority of my growing up and, and music was a big thing for me. So 
You know, you had Madonna and Michael Jackson and, and Prince and all of those superstars that we know of today. They were all super popular when I was growing up. Uh, you also had shows like The Price is Right, still on today, different hosts, but same type of thing. And then I also remember back in the day, and, and I can't believe I'm even going to say this, but you know, on Friday nights there was always Dallas and Falcon Crest and Who Shot JR and all those things going on that, that mom was always into. So um, the 80s were, were a fun time with, with the hair bands and, and all the different music and how different it was then compared to today. When I was growing up, um, my dad had an Atari, and we had games like, you know, Pac-Man was, was just coming out, and Yars Revenge, and Missile Command, and Space Invaders, and all those things going on. We weren't quite where we are today, but you can see, uh, even during my generation, where there was graduated from the, the Atari to the Nintendo, and how things had changed that way, too. There was a lot of cool little things that we, you know, had that were new. My grandmother bought me a Walkman, and we had these little things called cassette tapes that probably millennials have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, we, we'd often go to Blockbuster to rent movies versus Netflix like what they have today. Uh, I, we always had a Rubik's Cube in the house. And I, I, I always was messing around with that thing. And, and then, of course, MTV was popular. We went through some significant times that I, I think really defined our history. IBM came out with the first computer and introduced the information age and the World Wide Web. You know, all of that was cranking up there in the early 90s. You got to see a lot of that and that obviously has changed the way we do things today. The biggest thing I think that impacted me was um, when the Challenger exploded. I w I'll never forget, I was in sixth grade and I was in music class and and I was always, you know, a, a hyper kid and always wanted to be first. So I, I got up and ran to the door and our, even at a young age, you could tell that there was something wrong with the teacher when we opened the door and she was standing there. And, and I remember her, I can still picture it, just remember her saying uh, that the Challenger had exploded because we had talked prior to that early in the morning about Krista McAuliffe being there and her being a teacher and how significant that was. So it was, it, it made 20 plus kids grow up real quick. As far as how all of that divorce and, and all that stuff um, impacted me, I didn't end up living with my mother. I ended up living with my father and my brother uh, ended up staying with my mother. So he and I were separated um, while we were growing up. And so I'm so thankful that we're here going to the same church together now it's a pretty amazing thing um, but that had a, a real negative impact on me when even though we were young you know he was he was always right there with me and then all of a sudden we were separated so with just feeling like I had been abandoned a lot um, after the divorce and then obviously going from one household to the other it definitely wasn't an easy time but I think most of our generation has experienced divorce and um, seemed like it, as we moved through the generations, the divorce became more of the thing versus a lot of the baby boomers and, and even before that, where you see they're, they're married today, 50, 60, 70 years, which wish that that was the case for a lot of us, but it didn't end up being that way. And I knew that there was, there was just more that I needed in my life after that to to feel whole and feel complete and I didn't I didn't quite know what that was back then. I had been to church a few times 
when I go to visit my grandmother who offered that safe place for me that I never had, but I hadn't truly found my way and found God at that point um, like I would eventually. After I fully surrendered myself to God and after living most of my life feeling abandoned and not really having anyone to lean on and be with, I found that my relationship with God was putting me in all the right places. And when I was stationed in Arizona, I got to a church, one of my co-workers, my subordinate actually, was actually a pastor. And he got me into the church, Christ Church of the Valley uh, in Glendale, Arizona. So when I moved to Illinois, I knew that that was something important that I needed to have in my life. Plus, the, the guy who got me in the church reminded me daily that I needed to have it in my life. Um, but, but I knew I did. And, and so I went to a couple churches here, and, and I had moved around. Uh, Ultimately, my brother ended up, his wife ended up getting stationed here at Scott, and he found Troy UMC, and, and that's how I ended up being here and ending up in the position that I'm in uh, as a director of Connections, which is, is amazing because not only do I, I have a church family, but I get to be with that church family with my real family. And when you think about my story where my brother and I didn't grow up together, to finally be here uh, with a church family and my real family, you know, God was really, God really worked and moved some mountains to, to make sure that I had, not only did I have a support unit and a church family to help change my life, but had my real family with me too. And that was the greatest blessing I could have ever asked for. I'm so glad that Dave is a part of our of our staff and yeah. And, and you know, uh, and, and Mark, thanks for uh, uh, saying, hey, I heard about this job. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but Dave's experience is is the common experience of, of many in Generation X, and for, I mean, for for so many in this generation, their faith is about finding in Jesus and his church, that important something that was missing from their upbringing. It's a faith that's focused on meeting needs. Uh, a hurting generation, you know, is always looking for answers, and, and Gen X is no different. Uh, but in the absence of, of, of good values, the frustration of isolation, and the emptiness of their lives, it's led many from, from Generation X on, on a real spiritual journey. Uh, first Xers are on a journey to have their own needs met. Uh, well, we're pretty pragmatic about our faith. Xers tend to want a faith that works. Uh, while, while other generations have had their share of problems, this generation uh, really um, has experienced more dysfunctions and abuses and broken families than, than any generation before it. And the lack of strong support networks and the infusion of moral ethics because of the broken family, it's resulted in, I'll just call it what it is, a really a problem-ridden generation. There's no getting around it. I mean, thus, we, we look for a church that will nurture and give us practical resources to survive in a culture that has largely abandoned God. 
You know, part of that need that Xers are looking to have met is the need for community. Uh, Xers enjoy the, the interaction of a small, relatively small group of trusted friends. This is even more important for Xers who don't have family or or are struggling to build a solid family life as an adult themselves. Because so many Xers are children of divorced and dysfunctional families, we, we value a family atmosphere within the church itself. <clears throat> I mean, dual income and workaholic parents often could not or, or did not take the time to instill those healthy family relationships with their exer children. So exers don't want to repeat the, the same cycle. Um, so we find oh, we're looking for community in our church. And so many of us have found that and found hope in Jesus and his church, and, and those deep needs are being met. But exers don't want to stop with having their needs met, uh, ha- having our deep needs met through Jesus and his church. Exers want to help meet the real needs of other people who are hurting in similar ways. Exers expect their churches to be concerned about and involved with the real needs of real people, uh, spiritually, absolutely, but also other needs, relational, social, political, environmental needs. Exers want churches that have a clear focus, uh, a narrowly defined vision, and, and a commitment to accomplish that mission. Uh, but if Exer faith could be summed up uh, in a nutshell, two words come to the forefront. Authentic and relevant. And uh, Xers long for authentic faith. Churches that that offer a straightforward, honest, tell-it-like-it-is worship services seem to attract and connect with Generation X. Worship services, it doesn't matter if they're long or short. It doesn't matter really if they're modern or traditional so long as they are real and they're relevant uh, to their lives. And it's not a waste of time when it is relevant. Xers uh, often need to sort out hurts in their lives, and churches can help them do that through, through practical messages and community groups. You know, here we call them journey groups. Uh, if a church wants Xers, it needs to understand the kinds of problems and, and things that Xers are facing in their everyday life. Uh, sexual immorality, uh, uh, workplace challenges, pornography, child abuse, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, divorce, suicide, and trying to parent and connect with others in, in a world that is largely defined by those things these days. You know, for the average Xer out there, all this stuff can seem just, just straight up overwhelming. Uh, Xers need honest answers to, to help them navigate and deal with these issues. And, and I guess, you know, hearing myself say this again, uh, I think it's pretty self-explanatory uh, that as an Xer myself, that this is the kind of church community that really made a difference in my life. Um, and, and really, uh, out of it, I received a call to help create that kind of community for other people in the church. Um, and I think that's something that can truly bless all generations, not just Generation X, but all generations. Um, you see, I think we can most admire Xers' desire for this authentic and relevant community that meets people's needs and helps to heal deep-seated hurt. And really, that's, that's nothing new. In fact, Xers, uh, for Xers, the very first church is a tremendous inspiration 
Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which Clint uh, read earlier, it captures the first authentic and relevant church community ever. Um, and it catches it in action. And we've held it up as an ideal to strive for as we live out God's mission in this generation. Uh, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Sounds like a family, doesn't it? You know, Generation X longs for that kind of authentic and relevant community that meets very practical needs of people while healing their deep-seated hurts. And that, 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 that really, that's not only Gen X's story or narrative. It's not just Dave's story. Really, it's been a, a big part of my story, too. Uh, I, I did not grow up in a divorced household, although there were many, many days and nights when I thought maybe it would have been better had I. Uh, and uh, my family was full of unhealthy and unresolved conflict. And you've heard me share a time or two just about a strained relationship with my dad uh, growing up. Consequently, you know, I was a kid with an identity crisis, big time. Uh, on the one hand, I wanted to please everyone around me, so I learned to excel at everything, to never disappoint anyone. But inside, I was filled with anger and rage. And yes, I listened to music that helped to channel uh, that anger and rage, um, and rage against the machine, nine-inch nails, and the like stuff that I am just embarrassed when I uh, listen back uh, to. You know, but I had a deep-seated hurt, and I, I longed for real community. I didn't grow up in the church, so uh, yet when I was in high school and as a college student, I... I found that community in the church. And metaphorically, but I think also literally too, um, it helped raise my life from the dead. Um, I experienced a church with real people really following and pursuing God with their whole heart. I mean, really going for it. And that inspired me. Um, and I was not only inspired uh, to follow Jesus myself, but I was called, called to help to create a community like that, where, where people, all people were pointed to Jesus, but particularly my generation being pointed to Jesus as the one who offers to bring healing to all of the dysfunction, all of the brokenness, all of the effects of the angst and hurt and pain that, that I had experienced and went through. And before we pray, I just want to let you know, if, you've, if you are struggling, regardless of your generation, struggling under the stresses and pressures of this life, if you feel even a little bit lost or alone in what it is that you are experiencing or going through, please hear this, know this, that your deepest needs can be met in a personal relationship with Jesus and his church. It can. I mean, the, the, 
it is possible to be healed from the effects of the dysfunction. It is possible to have the anger and the bitterness melt away. It is possible to have your life resurrected. Now, now, trust me, following Jesus is not an easy answer. Um, I, I am usually not an easy answer person. I hope I never am uh, because there's nothing easy about following Jesus. Um, in fact, um, depending on the level of woundedness that you've experienced uh, following Jesus, the transformation journey and healing journey that he can lead you on, it, it's, it's anything but easy. It is grueling. But it is so, so worth it. It is the best that this life has to offer. And... And I'm not speaking so much as a pastor um, here as much as I am as someone whose life has been transformed and healed by the amazing power of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him and a relationship with his church, which isn't all sunshine and rainbows either sometimes, but is the best community that you can find your identity on on this planet. On this planet. Uh, so so if you're, if you're uh, someone, I, I would just encourage you, you know, get connected. Take a step into finding that community in this church. Journey groups. We're starting a new wave here now. Uh, there are dinner groups that are starting up again, which are really informal. And, and uh, look for a yellow sheet out at the Welcome Center. Sign up for a dinner group. Uh, you'll see these things in our e-news and in our, in our newsletter. But, but, but take a step to find real community. Um, I, I do not think that you'll be disappointed. Uh, so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I mean, we... We each come with our hurts and our pain, regardless of our generation. And I, I just want to thank you for the ways that you have formed and shaped Generation X, even through the pain and the dysfunction and the angst and the cynicism. I mean, you, you've really formed us into a people and a church that longs for something, uh, something real, an authentic and relevant faith community that meets the real needs of real people. And God, I, I believe that is a gift to this world that, that that matters to your church. We pray that you would not only continue to help us see the hope that's in you, but to have a vision for sharing that hope and that kind of community with others. We know all too well the brokenness inside of ourselves, so it is easy to understand the brokenness in our world. But Lord, we, we turn to you as the only one who can change our hearts and bring hope and healing to this world. We pray it all in the name of Jesus.